what really gets my dick hard is Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast, episode three. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And we're back. We hope you enjoyed episode one, our introduction. Might have been kind of boring for you, but we wanted to, you know, let you know who we are and all that good stuff. And episode two, of course, was Kill Em All. We had a blast making that one. So fun. Oh, yeah. So fun. And uh, fortunately for Clint, uh, it's time for Ride the Lightning. It's my favorite one. Your fa- this is your this is your time to shine. It's hard to pick a favorite. Uh, it's it, you know sometimes these records get likened to your little babies, and you love all of them yeah. so much. But if I really did have to pick one pound for pound, this is my favorite Metallica record for sure. I mean, it's undeniable. This is an incredible record. I listened to it almost three full times in a row today as I was making show notes and uh, working on some social media stuff. And uh, I do listen to this record often, but not like sitting down in front of my studio monitors at a loud volume multiple times in a row and there i don't know how but today there was like this added appreciation for this record yeah there's stuff for some reason that i didn't notice before yeah i had the same experience i i it's been a lot of years since i had the time to sit down and just listen i mean i definitely used to do that when i was a kid i'm sure you did too absolutely just relentlessly just pouring this shit into my brain but i did the same thing with you this week just having to carve out time and and uh, I definitely kind of like rediscovered an appreciation for it oh, for, the, for the melodic sensibility of it, the songwriting. Oh yeah, and there's there's so many moments on this record that uh, you know, as like you know that uh, four cello group apocalyptica. Here I go stuttering again. <laughs> apocalyptica, as they do, you know, they really can uh, highlight the, you know the musical aspect of what they're writing and right. uh, almost orchestral, you know. Uh, so there's definitely parts in this record that I think have that aspect where. If you heard it played on a cello, it would be so beautiful. Right. And I think that this is the first record where they really came into that. Yeah, I agree. Much to the chagrin of some thrash fans, this record actually has a lot of beautiful moments. It does. And acoustic guitar. Acoustic guitars. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Metallica's Ride the Lightning, released on July 27th, 1984 on Megaforce Records, produced and engineered by maybe arguably their best producer, Fleming Rasmussen. Yeah, the, the first of three sort of classic metal records. Totally. And yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of Metallica fans out there that argue like this guy or Bob Rock. Yeah. I would lean more towards this guy. Yeah, I think I would too. Um, he definitely helped Metallica develop the Metallica sound, I think, you know, because Kill 'Em All is kind of its own thing. It's a straight up thrash record. Yep. Like you said, this one has these beautiful melodic parts to it. The production got way better. Uh, and they did the record in like three weeks. Yeah, it's crazy. On a, I think it was a twenty-five thousand dollars budget. Is what I saw. Yeah, I think I think it's around twenty twenty-five, and ended up costing thirty. Man, yeah, recording in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, at Sweet Silent Studios. Yeah, that's an interesting name for a studio. It is. Yeah, Sweet Silent. Get it? Because it's not silent. <laughs> But, what, did, what was the record that this dude did that Lars Love was at a Deep Purple record? Ooh, I can't remember. I meant to write that down. This guy had done some like cool record that Lars liked. That's yeah. how he got on Lars's map. Yeah, they had uh, they had actually just posted a photo of uh, on Instagram, I think, of Lars in front of what used to be the studio hmm. where they did this and Master of Puppets. Hmm. But yeah, they went uh, they did this record in just under a month, went straight on tour, and that tour got canceled. <laughs> Yeah, which is interesting to think about. They got canceled because of poor ticket sales, which is, you know, if you're like reading about all the hype at this time, it's hard to imagine that the ticket sales weren't good enough yeah, to go I, on the road. I mean, it was, they were still a one-record band at that point, you know. Uh, That's true. I don't know. But, yeah, by 87, it sold a half million records. And, of course, in uh, 2012, it was certified six times platinum. Not bad. Not bad. That's okay. Yeah, Mustaine's making money off of that. Yeah, Mustaine, two two co-writing credits on this record too, which this record marks the end of that era. Yeah, the end. Mustaine is fully gone. They have wiped him from their feet. He he claims that he co-wrote Leper Messiah on Puppets, but that has been debunked by the band. Okay, which you know I I tend to trust the band because they've been pretty generous so far. Four co-writes on Kill 'Em All, two on Ride the Lightning. Right. I mean, why, I mean if if he actually did have a co-write why on Master Puppets, it? why lie about it? It's just it's just one part. You give him like five percent, and you know. 
But it's Mustaine. He's a little crazy, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something interesting I thought was when before they signed to Elektra, which they signed to Elektra during all this. which is yeah, two months after the release. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. So Elektra re-released it and all that stuff. So they're off of Megaforce. They have a, a major label behind them. But before they signed to Elektra, they were going to sign another deal, but they bailed on the deal because whoever it was that was signing them wanted Eddie Kramer to remix the record, and they didn't want him to. And suggested re-recording it. Yeah, entirely. even recording it. Can you imagine? I don't, I mean, I mean, I, I suppose if it got re-recorded back then, we wouldn't know any different. True. Unless both versions had come out. It's, I don't know, but I, I can't imagine it sounding any different than it does. Like, I don't, like, you know, we, t- we talked about, uh, you know, I don't know if it was on the podcast or uh, just personally, uh, hearing Death Magnetic with, you know, Black Album production. Bob Rock, yeah. But I don't know if I want, would want to hear Ride the Lightning with any other production on any of their records. I mean, this is a total fanboy comment, but I think Ride the Lightning's perfect. I, yeah. I don't want to change anything about it. No. I, I, I even thought today, is there a different order of songs I would choose? <sighs> and I sat there and stared at all the songs and I couldn't I couldn't think of it. I think it opens perfectly and it ends perfectly. I do too. I mean I could see an argument for maybe opening with Creeping Death. Yeah, it's a it's a good opener. But it's, Fight Fire with Fire with that acoustic intro is just so fucking killer. Yeah, totally. It's so killer, and it is interesting that, um, and I did, I read this today. I didn't like come up with this, but this record kind of starts, and and the remaining three records, the two records he did after this with Fleming, there is like definitely a um, a template almost where they start with like a real like like Five Fire with Fire, Battery, Blackened yeah. are all the sort of like frenzy songs, right? Totally, and they start either like acoustically or like a fade in, and, exactly, and almost this beautiful part. Then they do what's generally the title track, a big epic, yep. complex song, totally. Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, Justice and for Justice for All, yeah. And then the four, fourth track ballad thing, which they held on to for yeah. a while. It's usually the ballad into like not thrashing necessarily like one was kind of that way, but like it's all, it always starts as a ballad, right. and ends up just like ripping your face off, right? And Fade to Black is that same way. Which is cool. Like, that's interesting to think about when you look at them all that way, that they yeah. sort of had this template that they liked, how yeah. to introduce themselves on a record. and Side B instrumental. Yeah. That's uh, another common side thing. Side B instrumental. Yeah. Is there, I guess we have to talk about another records, but when did they stop doing instrumentals? Uh, Black Album. Black Album, right? Yeah. Yeah. The last one was To Live Is To Die. To Live uh, And they ended up doing it again on Death Magnetic. But, right. With um, the... Uh, was Unforgiven 3 the instrumental? No, no, that wasn't instrumental. Or Judas Kiss? Which one was the instrumental on? Instrumental Death is... <laughs> bad Metallica fans. Oh, bad. damn it. Why do I even bring up things I don't well, know? Here, here's the thing, and I think we, we've talked about this going into this podcast, is we're going to forget things, we're going to have brain farts, only because the last couple of days I've been obsessing and immersing myself in Ride the Lightning. Yeah. And so that's really uh, where my brain is at. So when we start talking about other songs... Like, oh, yeah, like that song off this record. Then all of a sudden you're like, wait, what was it called again? Well, um, frankly, I've spent a lot less time with Death Magnetic than Rise Suicide Lighting. and Redemption. Ah, okay. That was the one, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Let me. Let I can me. call my friend Rick Rubin and ask him. <laughs> yeah, hit up, hit up our R and see what he's doing. He might <laughs> hey, be Ricky. meditating right now. <laughs> hey, Ricky Rubin. <laughs> As if Rick Rubin remembers any detail about the making of that yeah. record. Oh, I can't wait to go into that when we do Death Magnetic. Oh, one thing we should talk about before we get into uh, the tour a little bit, too, is that um, there was another guy named Fleming in the studio who was the drum tech, I guess, yeah. who ended up teaching Lars <laughs> the fundamentals <laughs> of drumming because uh, Fleming Rasmussen even referred to Lars as a quote-unquote useless drummer, which is pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal. I mean, there's a lot of people throughout the years and to this day that are huge Lars haters. Yeah. I'm not quite that. I've been, I've been in that category from time to time. It's more comical now to me, uh, that you're a drummer and you've been playing in a band for almost 40 years and you haven't really gotten better. (laughs) You know, like, I know I, I, I I was singing, I watch a lot of, um, more current stuff. I watched the Orion festival where they played, uh, ride the lightning in its entirety, which was, I guess, well, they, they did, they did two of them. Oh, that's right. I think uh, in 2012 they did Kill 'Em All as the ba- the fake band Dehan, 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 D E H A A N. But then another year they did uh, Ride the Lightning because they did Escape, which was the first That's time they right, ever played they did it. Do the escape. Oh, but man. I was watching Kirk play, uh, you know, Creeping Death and all these. Some of uh, my favorite Kirk Hammett playing is on Ride the Lightning. But watching him play it in the last few years, I was like, I think Kirk has actually gotten worse. Which bums me out. Yeah, it, it does. Because, I mean, you see other guitar players out there that, that uh, are, you know, older in age. I mean, Kirk's not, like, 
a grandpa. I mean, he's in his 50s, early 50s. Right. You know, like... You should still well. It's not be like foot. It. It's not like a sport. It's not football. Yeah, you're like, not a boxer. Like, yeah, you're not like use. Is he losing dexterity? Is he losing speed? I don't get it. I don't I, know. I don't, I don't either. I don't know. Uh, Kirk, if you're listening, would you <laughs> mind just giving us a call? And yeah, <laughs> shed Kirk, some we need light to clear this. this up. Maybe it's the tape on his fingers. I don't know. It's, it's finally getting in the way. <sighs> tape on the fingers. Good grief. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So they went on the bang the head that doesn't bang European tour until Christmas. Bang the head that doesn't bang. <laughs> interesting title a good name for a tour <laughs> they were home for christmas then they did a 50 date north american tour uh which was the longest tour they'd ever done yeah which is pretty cool yeah just really taking it to the people totally and then they at, that tour ended in may and then they spent the next two months rehearsing for puppets so these dudes were just like cranking non-stop shit yeah totally they must have been writing a lot of the material for puppets while they were on the road well yeah because the, uh there was after they recorded ride the lightning there was stuff i've read online that during you know tours after that they were debuting master of puppets and mm-hmm. um damage inc and all this stuff pretty quickly after they finished recording ride the lightning so i mean you know i'm sure back then james had his cassette recorder and was recording riffs all the time you right. know um one thing i found interesting back then um was uh and i'm gonna read this verbatim because uh it's just a cool story. It was for some reason, this is one fact about them. I did not know, but when they were on the road, the band stayed at a rented house in El Cerrito, California, which I've been up, not, I haven't been there, but it's North of Oakland and Berkeley, uh, called the Metallica mansion Frontman James Hetfield was uneasy about performing double duty on vocals and rhythm guitar. So the band offered the job to Armin Saint singer, John Bush, who turned it down because Armin Saint was doing well at the time. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I would, John I Bush, as everyone knows, sang for anthrax on sound of white noise, but, do you think he, that dude ever kicks himself? For sure. He has to. Like, I could have been... I could have been part of the, the greatest guitar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he has to. But again, like we talked about with, you know, what would the band be like if Cliff was still alive? What would the band be like if John Bush was the rhythm guitar player? Would he have had influence in writing? I'm going to predict that they would have tried it for a few records, and then James would have gotten more confident, and they yeah. would have booted that guy out. I also can't see James as just a front man. Like, we saw it when he got burned... Yeah, and I didn't it, dig it, it. It was weird. It was weird. I mean, he didn't really have a choice. As you know, he had third degree burns, but it just lo- it didn't look right. And it was cool that they did that and pulled it off. Totally. But I definitely am glad he got well and but, was playing again. Yeah, but but all to say, I, I just I don't know why I never knew that fact. That seems like something that as a fan I should have known. I, I never knew that. I either. feel ashamed for even admitting <laughs> that I didn't know it. So <laughs> go stand in the corner for the remainder of the podcast. All right, fine. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, this record, I, I mean, I I can't say enough good, th- good things about it. There's so many things that were such an improvement from Kill 'Em All. Obviously, production, songwriting, musicianship. Um, yeah, it's so cool. This is also the same year that James Hetfield started using Explorers. Nice. The iconic, iconic, iconic James Hetfield yeah. guitar. And he still, I, I looked it up, he still has that white flying V from the Kill 'Em All days. Using, yeah. using on Death Magnetic. And it's a, uh, a brand called Electro. It's like a Japanese ripoff. But he loved it so much that he just played it. Like, Do you know the story of like where he got it? Or, or? Uh, I think I read online that he bought it from a friend for like two hundred bucks or something, wow. and, they, and it had a Gibson like uh, trust rod cover on it or something. So right. he thought it was a Gibson. He didn't realize that you know the bolt on neck was a dead giveaway. This is not a Gibson Flying V. Right. Um, Everybody knows that. He just, jeez, <laughs> oh, dummies. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> there are Gibsons with bolt on necks, but. Flying V's didn't have those. Come on, Clint. Oh, shit. Um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, he didn't know at the time. And once he figured it out, he kind of felt duped. But he he didn't, you know, what I read was he just didn't care because all he wanted was a Flying V, like, you know, his heroes and the Scorpions and stuff right. like that, you know, just wanted to look cool and metal. Yeah, metal metal has like a great little love affair with pointy guitars. It's totally. It's just such a big part of the look of it in those early days. I mean, the, the, the pointiness has gotten out of control in the last <laughs> 20 years with BC Rich and That's stuff. True. I mean, it's cool, but... The BC Rich bitch yeah. that you can actually like kill someone with if you, it's like yeah. actually a weapon. I think I think a guitar is most metal when you can stab someone with the headstock <laughs> right. and accidentally stab yourself while stabbing them because it's multi multi pointed. Totally, you could just throw it in a crowd and probably hurt somebody. Right. Pretty. It needs a double as like a throwing star. <laughs> yeah, totally. Then you can actually make metal on it. <laughs> Absolutely, but yeah. So this yeah this is this is a, I think a eighty four is a pivotal year for Metallica for sure. Y- you know they. They weren't the band that hung on to, to that first record sound for, for multiple albums. They went right into stepping up the game drastically. 
which says a lot about them that yeah. they weren't just going to make Kill 'Em All Part Two because it was right. kind of working for them. That they immediately wanted to be bigger than just a thrash man. They immediately wanted exploring ballads, exploring harmonies, and a lot of this had to do with Cliff. I know we're going to talk about that, but Cliff's presence on this record, right? The intro to Five. Let's. You want to just get in the track by track? Yeah, we might as well. So the intro to Five two. Fight Fire with Fire. That amazing kind of awesome twelve string acoustic creepy thing, which I read. Uh, so uh, Cliff used to travel around with an acoustic guitar, and it, allegedly when he wasn't on stage playing bass, he was always playing guitar. Oh, cool! And he had this old kind of beat up acoustic guitar tuned to C that he would just noodle on, and that's where that intro came from. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah, that's awesome. I, this is also the first song that on uh, in, in Metallica's you know one record history prior to this that acoustic guitar appears right it's definitely not not acoustic guitar on jump in the fire <laughs> you know although I, I wouldn't mind hearing that whatever they would cook up for that acoustic version yeah <laughs> but it is cool that like it's almost like they they knew that their fans are going to be like oh shit what is this so what do you have here fight fire with fire is like easily the most thrashiest a great thrash metal song. Oh, it's a. I mean, I would put it in a category of a classic thrash metal song at this point. I wrote actually wrote thrash masterpiece and circled it in my notes <laughs> just to make sure you mentioned for it. extra <laughs> emphasis. One thing that for I guess decades now that always threw my brain for a loop, and it's the way Lars plays drums. Mm-hmm. He does this a lot on faster songs, doing his all too common snare and crash thing, but not hitting the downbeat crash. Right. He does that on this song to where when you listen to it, it sounds like the beat turns around. It does. It technically doesn't like it's it's the downbeat is on the kick drum, but the way James sings it and the riff is, it sounds like the beats turned around and they add like an extra measure. I know it's the weirdest thing, but I'm sure if like James explained it to you, he'd be like, no, it's just like this. Like Blacken did that for me for a long time. Well, there are definitely sections of Blacken also that today we're listening to it today where I, I get turned around on the downbeat. Yeah. And it's Lars's fault. Yeah, so it's funny to think <laughs> about just... that this wasn't because they had crafted it that way. This is just straight up um, sort of wonderful byproducts of them not really knowing what they were doing. Right, totally. I Because mean, Fight like... Fire with Fire, I get, I get a little confused and disoriented until I hear, do, uh, do, like, yeah. he, James has to kind of, like, get it locked in for me. Yeah, absolutely. And whenever I've, like, I've played this song on drums for fun and stuff, like, that's what I'm waiting for is James's vocal. And then, <laughs> right. then I feel like, oh, I'm comfortable. I know now, what I'm doing. Know? Yeah. But, you know, I think, you know, especially Lars, his inexperience back then caused that to happen. But it also, you know, is part of a great song. And it's almost like these little accidental proggy. Like if you hear a band like Dream Theater or like Tool or somebody do like a fucked up time right. signature, you're like, they definitely crafted it that way. When Metallica, yeah. it's like, what a happy little accident. <laughs> you know what? Maybe that's why every time you watch live footage of Metallica, Lars will often jump up and do like the hole in one <laughs> fist bump thing. You ever seen him do that? I have seen him do it. Maybe that's why he's like, oh, I got it. I nailed it. Like I finally got it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does a thing where he's like trying to flick a booger off his off his hand, like. He does uh, a lot of funny things. I was noticing today he did a thing where he, he stands up on his stool with his hands behind his back and he leans forward and he sticks his tongue out. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's got all those things that are, that are probably his little crowd tricks. He's just done forever. It's annoying. But, you know. It's part of it. He's in one of our favorite bands it's of all time. It's part of it. So. Also, I don't know if this is true. Um, I know we just did Kill Em All last week, but to my ears, is this song the first time we hear Guitarmony in Metallica on the Fire With Fire solo? Uh, I believe it might yeah. be the first time. And I believe it might be the first time we hear the double kick in that outro solo. Well, um, yeah, oh yeah, I mean, the double kick thing at the end is awesome. I mean, um, but Guitarmonies on Kill 'em All, I think. Uh, Are there Guitarmonies on Kill 'em All? Uh, is There's a lot of. Morris? Oh, mm, I don't know. No, it's the. Um, gosh, Bad Metallica fans. <laughs> You can correct us if we're wrong. It's definitely the first time it sticks out to me. Or is it Phantom Lord? Uh, you know, I'm going to pull my phone out and I'm just going to play it because I'm pretty sure it's the beginning of Phantom Lord. And they talk a lot about, we talked, you know, about Cliff having no. a lot more to do with this record. No. <laughs> Sorry. They talk about how he int- even introduced to them, like, the ideas of harmony. And um, this is his shit they didn't even know about, you know? Right. Like, he was, like, really turning them on to... He was definitely like the godfather of the musician in the band, helping them learn how to oh, write yeah, songs. For sure, and... he was. Yeah, yeah. He had mu- he had much more like you know music theory in his brain than those right. guys did. You know, I mean, he, that's why you know when you listen to 
you know, the intro to Fire with Fire, it's like, it's this beautiful thing. You would, you would it's think. It's almost kind of classical sounding. Totally, yeah. Or even when you just like listen to Call of Cthulhu. I mean, like, I'm not sure exactly what parts he wrote, but it's like, there's some really cool orchestral sounding stuff in there that, I don't know, I think that, that he had a huge influence on not only Fire, Fire with Fire, but this whole record. I mean, he's got writing credit on almost every song. Yeah. I mean, those guys obviously looked up to him. You know, and it was even evident in you know, in on Master Puppets with Orion. I mean, that's a beautiful song. I think it's cool that Kirk has a lot of co-writes on the record too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've sort of been taught our whole lives as Metallica fans that it's sort of the James Hetfield Lars Ulrich show. Yeah, and I believe that's true. But if you look at the writing situation, it's clear that it was definitely a little more democratic. It seems. Yeah, totally. Now, maybe they were generous, like they were with Mustaine, and like, hey, Kurt, come in and write the solos. Okay, right. I wrote the solos. Cool, you get writing credit. Ah. It could have mm. just been as simple as that. I don't know. But well, I'm sure he wrote the solo for Fight Fire with Fire, and he doesn't get the credit on that one. I'd imagine he writes almost all the solos. I mean, it's there's only a couple that James plays. Yeah, I'm sure he he writes all of them, but I'm just saying they didn't give him credit for that. And he wrote this, you know, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe you're right. Um I think he came in, he brought in the Die By My Hand line on Creeping Death. Okay. Which bummed his Exodus bandmates out because he kind of ripped that from an Exodus song. Ah, okay. Exodus, I believe, has a song called Die By My Hand. <laughs> <laughs> Where to go, Kirk? Come on. <laughs> um, I, again, the, the first track, it comes in with such fucking fury after that acoustic part i know and i think going into the song ride the lightning the title track oh man is so perfect you have the atomic bomb explosion at the end love it that kind of goes on for a good, a good while just <laughs> but then it gets cut off by a boom, ba-da, boom ba-da, i know it's so awesome one of their best hooks ever oh absolutely. that's one of my favorite little hooks absolutely uh, i love yeah, ride the lightning I've been trying to think about this in prepping for this episode, is which is my favorite Red Lightning song. Hmm. Uh, it's is tough. This it? I don't know, man. Creeping Death is so good. Creeping Death. But I don't know. Anyways, uh, another little thing on Red Lightning that I, I love is Lars plays the ride symbol. Yeah. And as most of his fans know nowadays, he's replaced a ride symbol <laughs> with a china. <laughs> right. Because that makes sense. Right. Um, but I, there's so many records that they've done that he he does doesn't even have a ride symbol on the recording, and this one, yeah, uses a ride symbol, and I thought it was awesome. There's a lot of cool shit that really comes to the foreground on this record, and especially this song. I think that this is one of the first moments where you can hear Kirk's voice more as a guitar player. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of moments in the solo. There's some thrashy, fast stuff. There's a lot of moments in the solo that are super melodic. Mm-hmm. You can kind of hear the note choices that become his sound. Right. Which I think is really interesting. Like, I think it's really interesting that Kirk and Cliff shine the most in this record. Yeah, I, I agree. They're sort of the two background guys, but they, they shine the most in this. Yeah. And I, I love the drum sounds in this record. I do too. It, it's almost like a very reverbed, flat, kind of punk rock sounding tone yeah with all the drums and i, I did read online that the studio they recorded out in denmark uh the the quote-unquote drum room was just like a huge warehouse right and they didn't have much time to record so it wasn't soundproofed or treated properly so that's the reverb you hear i think most of it is from the actual room right but it sounds like it's like this loud you know reverb unit they probably used back then but it's it really is so much nicer than kill them all like the engineering of this record the sound of this record is far and away better than Kill Yeah, Ball. totally. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ride the Lightning, it's such a good song. Big epic song. Yeah, what is there? I mean, thematically, lyrically, kind of about capital punishment, I guess. Like, I feel like the whole record kind of deals with authority. Like, yeah. not dealing well with authority. Um, obviously, death is <laughs> a yeah. major theme of this record. Kind of. We got the nuclear war, then we got the electric chair, then we got the death in in actual war then we yeah. got the suicide note then we got the cryogenic death guy and trapped under ice <laughs> totally. who knows what escape is about it's about being happy i think <laughs> according to the chorus um creeping death is obviously uh biblical biblical death and then we got call of cthulhu which is based on an hp lovecraft story about a monster that kills you as an instrumental so <laughs> 
which I think I wrote this down that I think some of the pressings uh, actually accidentally called uh, the Call of Cthulhu the Cat of Cthulhu. The Cat of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an Alice in Wonderland side story. <laughs> if you're out there and you have one of those fucked up pressings with the wrong title, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to see. Or a if you're out of that. there and you have the the green version of Ride the Lightning. Oh have you yeah. Heard about this? Yeah. What's the deal with that? It was a uh, it was a French record label called uh, Burnett Records, I believe. And they misprinted the color, and there's only 400 copies in existence. Holy shit. Yeah, I looked it up today uh, just to see if there's anything on, on eBay or whatever. And one sold, but only for like 80 bucks. No, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right, but I saw it. It was like an auction that ended, and it said $82 and whatever. And I was like, I would pay that. I would definitely pay that. And it's like a green vinyl, too. I wonder if like most of those 400 are spoken for. Like Fans have them. I'd They're imagine. Part of collections. I'd imagine you ha- you'd have to, if you're a, a big Metallica fan and you have that, you'd have to be really like stepping into hard times to sell to, that. To part with it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I would. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't get rid of it unless it was like... 80 bucks does sound low for that. It does sound low. I mean, granted, I, that was the only thing I saw. I, I didn't, like, do a ton of research and see what they have sold for well, in the past. Let's say let's say that you someone was selling one and you knew it was legit. What's the most you would pay for that? The most I would pay for that? Without your wife <laughs> throwing you out of the house. Um, Man... I would I would consider doing like 150. Yeah, I was gonna say 100, 125. Yeah, I mean it'd be a cool piece to have. It'd be as a Metallica awesome. fan, it'd for be sure. so cool. You know, like I get stoked enough that I have like the live shit binge and purge box set. You know that my, my dad got me for Christmas one year, and right. like the, I've got the Metallica action figures back there from like that kind of Black Album Justice era. You know, and which that's interesting, by the way, because. I believe that's the later lo- post Black Album logo, isn't it? On your uh, action figures, it is. I think I, I don't think they release them until around that era. Okay, because when you look at like the way they look and all that stuff, it's definitely like they all have long hair still. It's right. like it to me, it looks kind of like Justice into Black Album. They're all wearing black and stuff like that. But um, cool. Don't worry, we'll do a whole episode on toys because <laughs> there's a bunch and they're so, awesome. For whom the bell tolls? One of the most badass Metallica totally. songs ever fucking written. Can I? Can I pause you for a second on that? The one thing I wanted to bring up on Ride the Lightning. Okay, let's go it's back. It's only one of two songs that Mustaine has writing credit for. Right. And I w- would be curious to know which part he wrote, what contribution he had. That's true. It, it's definitely one of the songs of theirs that's m- one of the more complex songs. Lots yeah, of parts. Totally. I would imagine he came up with one of those parts. Yeah, for sure. That was I mean, inc- even just the even just the uh, the riff before the verse sounds a little Mustaine-y. Yeah, just yeah. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, I'm sure I sang it perfectly just now. <laughs> you totally did. Yeah. Got every downstroke. Oh yeah. <laughs> who knows? Maybe I'll, maybe we'll run into Dave Mustaine. Uh, I do, I also wonder that though too. I I do wonder like I wish that um I don't know maybe that's out there somewhere. Maybe they have kind of broken down who is responsible for what. I'm sure Dave would like to have credit for. Dave's I think Dave actual... would love to tell you. <laughs> We could probably call his ass right now, and he'd be he would take that call. You know, he only lives about forty five minutes from here. So. Does he live in town? He lives uh, down near Franklin, Tennessee. Wow! I think he's in Leapers Fork, from my understanding. I have no idea. It's somewhere near Franklin. I know they recorded the uh, Dystopia record in Leapers Fork, Tennessee. No shit. Yeah, I know that uh, Vinnie Vincent, the uh, the guitar brief guitar player for Kiss, who's now shrouded in complete mystery, is reported to be living in Nashville. Really? Yeah. What if he What if he lives on my street? What if he's your neighbor, bro? <laughs> he's wow, I didn't know Dave lived here. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, by the way, side note, and then we'll move on to From the Bell Tolls. When we do a Dave Mustaine episode, I have the best Dave Mustaine story. Okay. All I'm going to say, it, it, I, I, can't give, I can't blow my whole wad on this episode. <laughs> okay. I spent an entire day with Dave Mustaine one time. Oh, boy. And I'm not kidding. Don't you have a Dave Ellison story, too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I don't know if his number's the same, but it's still on my phone. <laughs> he was a PV rep. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in between being in Megadeth, when I, he quit before he rejoined, yeah, he was he was a PV rep for my old metal band. Yeah. Super nice Crazy. dude. Crazy. I, I We've traded these stories before, but I, I spent a day with Dave also when I was working in a guitar store in Birmingham where he came and did a, like a PV workshop. That's right. And I, had a, I have a very strange story about that. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll do that All for right. sure. Press play for whom the bell tolls. All right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, in my top ten metallic songs of all time. Absolutely, it's. A, I think it's a masterpiece. It's something that, I mean, I'd be curious to look at like their set list 
from this record to present day and see how many times they haven't played it. Yeah. It seems like that's, I mean, that's one that highlights whoever's playing bass. For sure. It is. It's a, like a staple for sure. Totally. Also the uh, only song that on this record that doesn't have a guitar solo. Yeah, it kind of has that weird outro. The, yeah, the outro is like, kind of dive bomb. Yeah, the, but there's not like a designated solo section, which I think was a cool idea. Like, I think it was a good call. I, I mean, it was. I think that was deliberate. First, yeah, of all. they have like the the, har- the the guitar harmony part, but that's it. You know, which that that hook that that's yep. a great hook. Totally, I, I also think that this is, in my opinion, one of the first Metallica songs that has a riff that you could sing right away. Like you could just go, da, 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 you know, it's like the it's the riff is really catchy. Sure. Well, all of them are gun 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 and the Cliff's fucking badass hook there at the top. You know, he you know he wrote that before he was in Metallica. Yeah, he it was just something kind of laying around. Probably, yeah. He probably just had it and just messed around with it all the time. And and if you ever watch any footage, I watched them earlier from um uh eighty five, I believe. It's the classic footage. I think it was in the Cliff Mall uh VHS, mm-hmm. um, you know he's in all denim doing his thing, yeah. and he's playing he's playing that area pro bass, and he's got the freaking whatever he's using distortion pedal, whatever, and his wah pedal, and he's doing the intro with Lars hitting the kick drum, and he's basically soloing, and his fingers yeah. are so fast, yeah, it's um, unbelievable. Yeah, it's cool. He, he he's like one of the first metal dudes to kind of like be a pedal nerd. Yeah, totally. I mean, because yeah, he had like um, envelope filters and wah pedals, and definitely yeah, he did a lot some of really overdrive cool and fuzz. Totally. Yeah, and this this is uh, you know, to, as far as I can remember, I think this was one of the first Metallica songs I learned how to play on guitar. Yeah, because that intro, once I learned how to play guitar and I got into Metallica, I was like, oh, that sounds kind of easy, you know, until the solo happened. And then I, when I was you know twelve years old, I was like, oh, I can't do it. Yeah, I would say that it's probably one of the more simple songs to play. But I mean, but what a catchy, beautiful part that Hetfield wrote for the intro. I, and to me, that to me, the the power of the song is his vocal. I think the Absolutely. lyric is super awesome and interesting, but the his delivery is vocal. There's just something really powerful about it. Yeah, totally. I believe him. I'm in. That's yeah. it's scary. You are bummed that you lost your gear. You got stolen. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was like it was like uh, like half of their gear got stolen. Then Anthrax loaned them gear to finish out some shows. Yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, essentially a song about just like the fear of uncertainty and, you know, where, you know, are, are they going in the right direction and all that stuff? It sounds right. way darker than the actual subject matter, I think. And we've mentioned before that the, the, the sort of literacy of Metallica that, you know, th- this is a Hemingway novel that, yeah, that they were influenced by and with Creeping Death, having watched the Ten Commandments, Call of Cthulhu, H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Uh, these are all things that just elevate this record, elevate that band. Yeah, totally. And dude, I totally, I totally dig that they didn't put a guitar solo in there. I think yeah. that's fucking rad. Totally, and ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I, I just, I just. Hey, by the way, I think I'm just looking at my notes here real quick, and I totally like skipped ahead to Fade to Black when I was talking. Oh wait, we're talking about Fade to Black. Wait, we're talking about we're talking about from the Bell Tolls. And I started talking about Fade to Black on accident. Oh, you mentioned their gear. <laughs> Right, you're no, we were talking stolen. about the lyrics. I'm totally sorry. I'm way too excited. I, I skipped ahead when I started talking about the first song I learned and a song about losing their gear. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm skipping ahead. Oh. I just looked down and was like, "Wait, I'm not talking about for whom the bell tolls anymore." Much of what you said could have applied to for whom the bell tolls. <laughs> okay, that's good. Anyways, fade to black. Fade to black. <laughs> we talked about this on the last episode because I guess on the tour on the tour for Kill 'Em All is when the gear got stolen. So their gear got stolen. Anthrax let them borrow their gear. Yeah. And they wrote this the, the suicide ballad, yeah, about stolen gear. But I did read that, like I said before, that it, that Hetfield is in this place of uncertainty, and like, you know, like a lot of people get into, like, what am I doing with my life? Is this going to work out? Uh, you know, I'm scared, kind of thing. And I think the content sounds so much darker than the, what actually happened it in real life. Does. But um, I mean, another iconic Metallica song. I think it's my favorite Metallica ballad. Ooh, that's a tough one. Out of all of them, Sanitarium is I know incredible. I, I, I'm a Master Puppets guy though, so um, yeah. But it's so I mean it's so good. They still play it to this day. It's still some of some of Kirk's best soloing. Absolutely, I, 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 I love I the beginning that. solo. It's just super melodic. There's a few little tricky moments in there, but it's mostly just lyrical and beautiful. Yeah, d- definitely. And I love that. 
it changes keys twice. Yeah. B minor to A minor. And then back to B minor for the outro. Yeah. I love that. And, and I do too. there's no transition. It just happens. I know. And it sounds awesome. Again, Again that's uh, just another product an of them not really knowing what the fuck they were doing. Totally. And carving out this fucking awesome song. Yeah, man. I mean, like I said before on accident, uh, one of the first songs I learned how to play by Metallica uh, even before I could play like faster solo stuff, like I was so stoked to learn like that intro solo. Mm-hmm. I had trouble with the, but we all did. But once I got it down, I was so pumped that I could play that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Hammett had writing credit on the song. Obviously, he wrote, I assume, all the lead stuff on this. But what an epic sounding song, though. It's like this ballad. I hate to use the word power ballad because that reminds me of glam bands, right? But uh, it's like the you know their first ballad, and it just has this you know, this climb dynamically that just keeps going and going and going. And then on the outro, when it goes back into B minor, you know, the soloing gets faster, double kick comes in, the beat turns around, it just keeps going and going. And I love that about it. And I love that their whole touring career, that outro riff, the dun, 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 that people sing that. Oh yeah. It's amazing. Yep. Like when I saw Metallica in Australia and they played that, I was yelling it. It's just it, it, it like I love that they have such iconic catchy riffs I know. and parts that it's almost like a lyric. I know it's so cool. Uh, it is cool. Uh, I like imagining like when that record first came out, uh, the sort of thrash kids arguing over that song. I just like imagining uh, the sort of fights they were probably having, like fade to blacks for pussies. No man, fade to black for kicks sure. ass. Like. I mean, I'm sure they were like, I'm sure they weren't like relationship ending fights, but I'm sure there were some <laughs> arguments about that song. There had to have been. I mean, I, I would imagine that some hardcore Kill 'em All fans, the second they heard acoustic guitar on the intro of the record, were like, what the fuck is this? Right. You know, once it kicked in, they're like, okay, we're cool. But Fade to Black, yeah, it's a good example of, you know, if, you know, them evolving and discovering new things and trying new things. And again, I mentioned it before, but. It's it's just a hint of what was to come. Yeah, for sure. You know, like, you know, I like I said I had, before, I have friends that once the Black Album came out, they're like, man, I'm done with this band. They're not a thrash band anymore. And it's like, well, hit the brakes for a second. And then you go back to Red Lightning, and there's a freaking ballad on there. I know. You know, I mean, for whom the for whom the bell tolls isn't thrash. For whom the bell Definitely tolls could have been could have been on the Black Album. I think, yeah, I mean, it is weird for me because when I was, like, becoming a huge fan, it was just unanimous with all my friends. There was no question that Fade Black was a fucking awesome song. Totally. It's one of our favorites. Of course. So we just missed that whole argument. And I don't think they were concerned about it at all. What I've read, um, and this kind of leads into Trapped Under Ice, is that they were this, the one thing they were worried about in this whole record was that Trapped Under Ice was too commercial sounding. <laughs> Trapped Under Ice. Trapped Under Ice. Which is... To me, the one song on Ride the Lightning that I think could have been on Kill 'Em All. Oh yeah, totally. it sounds it, like a Kill 'Em All it song. Totally does. Yeah, I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if shortly after they did Kill 'Em All, Hetfield wrote a bunch of those yeah. riffs. You know, yeah. Commercial. I know. <laughs> I know. Dude, the biggest record. I don't the, know about Trapped Under Ice. It's kind of a pop song. The biggest record <laughs> at the time of Ride the Lightning was fucking Thriller. So I don't think that. They're trapped under ice is in any danger of being picked up by a hot AC. Oh my gosh. It kind of sounds like the beat it riff. <laughs> <laughs> I like trapped under ice. So I think it's sort of like a, uh, underappreciated deep cut. Oh yeah, totally. I love the bridge on this song too. I, I, I do too. A, yeah, another yeah. great example of uh, a lot of times when Hetfield has uh, a chord progression or a riff and he sings that progression and he does that on this bridge. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Yeah. By the way, I hope everyone loves our, our awful singing of Metallica riffs. If you don't already know this, Ethan and I are actually professional musicians. We are professional musicians. Oh, God. But yeah. Um, uh, like, if I were to choose, like, if I had to choose my least favorite song on Ride the Lightning, it would probably be Trapped Under Ice. Yeah. But I love Trapped Under Ice. These songs are, like, so complex and cool that it's really hard to not actually dis- actively dislike any of them. Yeah. Well, it's all, also hard, like we we mentioned early in uh, in the episode. It's it's so hard to try to reorder this record. Yeah, and in, in order to even just pick your favorite, like down the list, like I don't know. I mean, I could I could definitely say like my number one or two, and that would fluctuate probably. Yeah. <laughs> but when you get down to like the end of the list, I I mean, 
Escape might be a little further down for me, but I don't know. Trapped Under Ice, I think, is kind of up there. I I, I dig it. It doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think. Yeah. Um, is there anything else to say about that one? Uh, this is my favorite Kirk moment on the right. His, I think his soloing on this song is so the good. Soloing is awesome on Trapped Under it's Ice. It's great. It's, it, there's parts of it that's very Slayer. Very, very thrashy solo, uh, but there's a lot of really good uh, melodic parts in it. Oh, you know, like, the, so the whole deal is that, um, when she has a co-write on this one, I wonder about, so James did all the rhythm, right? So James would double track all his rhythm yeah. stuff. And so they would have all that done, and then Kirk would come in and write a solo. But is he having to, like, learn the song from James? Or does he, they just give him, like, a tape? And he just has to go learn the, the new Metallica song. I, I, th- I think he, I think that he was involved in like the, the exchanging of cassette tapes too, because he talks about. I think it's in. Correct me, correct me if I'm wrong. It's either the behind the music or a uh, year and a half of life of Metallica. He talks about being in hotel rooms with like you know right. In, in well, because Inner Sandman was like his cassette riff. Yeah, totally. So they all had that whole cassette thing going on uh, individually, but right. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of parts that Hetfield's like, oh no, it goes like this. You have to play like this, you know, right? Because obviously he plays, you know, rhythm stuff live as well. But um, yeah, I thought I thought that was interesting about Kirk Hammett having to learn his own band's songs for every. I, I get the kill 'em all shit. Yeah, but from here on out, it's like he's having to like learn his band's new songs. Yeah, I mean, I mean when it, you know Hetfield is the the primary riff writer. Yeah, I mean, hey, write a better one. Or it, learn mine. It know? is kind of fucked up that Kirk didn't play the rhythm because he was totally capable of p- playing the rhythm on those. He totally songs. was. I mean, I mean, he's a lead guy, but I mean, Hetfield just has a it's thing. It's like a control. It's just yeah. It's a oh, con- you mean a, his for, sound. Oh yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. Hetfield has a thing, a style of playing. It's very aggressive. He's you know, it's no secret that he's like a Ramones fan. He you know plays all downstrokes stuff right. like that. Kirk, I'm sure can do that stuff, but like it's Headfield, like right. You know, I, I wonder how those early because I know they experimented more with both of them playing on load and reload, and I love the sound of I like hearing both of their voices. Yeah, and they even hard panned. I wonder what those early records would have sounded like if they had let Kirk play. Yeah, I don't know. That, that that'd be you know another one of those what ifs. Because know? when you listen to like live shows, it sounds fine. Yeah. They're both playing it tight. Uh, totally. You know, it's just an interesting. I mean, facet it sounds of, like it's just the structure that was put in place early on with, right. with you know Lars and James, and that's just how we do things. And and guess who wasn't going to put up with that shit? Dave Mustaine. Exactly. <laughs> they they definitely needed a yes man, and that's definitely oh, Kirk dude. Hammett. I, I think, and to go back to a, a brief kill them all thing, if they hadn't kicked out Mustaine at that point, they would have shortly after. Yeah, I don't think it would have lasted long. I don't think so either. His ego is way too big, but. We already talked about that stuff. That's old news. So, Escape. Easily one of my favorite gems. I love Escape. So rare that they have played that song. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned it earlier, or maybe... I think before we started, you did. <laughs> Ethan and I actually talk about Metallica, even when we're not recording the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We talked about Metallica for about 20 minutes we're before like making we started We're like making recording. a vodka drink in my studio and talking about Metallica. <laughs> it sounded like we were recording an episode. I should just have the mic set up and hit record as know, you walk dude. in my in my studio. We've got a problem. But, but it's like, um, so they played it one time at one of those Orion festivals where they played Ride the Lightning uh, front to back. Yeah. And when they get to this song in the set, James is saying shit like, oh, the song we never wanted to play live. He's like, don't even say the name of it. And he's yeah. like plugging his ears. And That's so weird. I'm like, damn, James, this song is killer. Do you think it's just the chorus because it's so happy sounding? It's like in a major key. Because that opening riff is bitching. It's fucking brutal. Yeah. And I love that. Um, so, you know, that like hook, you know, you were saying that you like it when James sings the actual hook too. Yeah, totally. He played the hook while he sang it. I thought Kirk maybe did it. Yeah. I'm on my own. That's awesome. But he plays it, you know. I just think that's uh, that on, on, you know, a lot of records, that's become like a Hetfield thing. Like, I mean, that's the bridge to fade to black. Right. You know? Yeah. Escape. Yeah. The major chorus is so weird. It is weird. When I first heard this record, when I was pretty much a kid and went back and, you know, started discovering these early Metallica records, I was very naive in in music and and playing guitar, so like I didn't really know what major and minor was back then. To me, it was still a badass song. Like I wasn't, you know, as a eleven, twelve year old going, "Oh, that's major. That's weird." Right. But I mean, 
who knows? Maybe back then their fans hated it. You know, it sounded uh, too pop. I don't know. I'd be curious to get some feedback from some listeners. If... Wait, so Trapped Under Ice was too pop, but the chorus of Escape was not? That's the... <laughs> apparently the one they were worried about was Trapped Under Ice, <laughs> but I think they also hated Escape. I don't think it, it may ever, it, well, I know it never made it into any set list when they were touring this shit. Man, that's so crazy. Well, I'm glad they have played it. I, you know what I wonder too, looking at this, because this one um, does not have a Cliff Burton co-write. Yeah. I wonder if maybe Cliff didn't dig it. Oh, that's, and, but that's he was a good kind theory. of like a silent type about shit like that. But they all looked up to him. Like if they're like, "Hey, Cliff, what do you think about this?" and he just goes, eh, "It's fine. It's whatever." Yeah, it's not my favorite. Yeah, and they're like, "Shit." It's like it's like when someone's mad at you and you know they're mad at you and you say, "What's wrong?" and they, and they go, "Nothing. Nothing. I'm fine." Yeah, everything. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah. You're like, "No, it's not fine." <laughs> so maybe Cliff did that. They're like, "Hey, Cliff, check out Escape," and he's like, eh, "It's fine. I'm gonna yeah. go play my classical guitar now." <laughs> In C. <laughs> I thought. Um, for as much as they don't like this song, I really felt on this song that Hetfield's classic voice really comes out. Yeah. He still has that youthful, you know, higher tone to his voice, you know, on this whole record. But there's these little Hetfield isms mm-hmm. that he does in this song that I feel like he's he carried over into all the future records. Yeah, and a lot of the sound of this record is the improvement of his voice, which I still think he he had some ways to go to get better, but it's definitely better than Kill 'Em All. Yeah, was that they did double tracking on his voice, sort of yeah. smooth. Some of they sort of like, you know, smoothed over some of those rough edges. Totally. I think his voice sounds great on Escape. Oh yeah, it totally does. It's also the second time you hear uh, bells on the record, mm. other than the for whom. Which I read today that the for whom the bell tolls, they that's Lars banging on a big ass anvil. That they found an anvil, an anvil, and they, an anvil, uh, they uh, an what, just what maybe because yeah. this is like pre samples. I mean, they yeah, wanted the sound of a bell, and they, they had to just make the sound of a bell. They must have like pitched it down with tape or something because it they, doesn't sound like an anvil. They pitched, they did pitch shit. That's to crazy. It. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I wish they would have just like ripped the uh, Hell's Bells one and just <laughs> yeah. manipulated it. If Pro Tools existed, they probably would have. But. <laughs> So um, the ACDC guys have a co-write on For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yeah, so, yeah. Johnson, Young. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the next what? track going into this, I mean... I've, I've mentioned before on this podcast, Creeping Death might be my all-time favorite Metallica song. So. It's... Jeez. Another iconic one. I mean, Metallica, is, and especially on this record, I feel like it really started intros to Metallica songs that become these iconic... Right. The second it starts, you know what it is. Oh, yeah. Creeping Death is a perfect example. I mean, it's like, you know exactly what it is, and it's something that they won't stop playing, and they haven't. And dude, how about that bridge anthem? Just a bunch of metal kids shouting, die. Yeah. So cool. Do you think back then when Hetfield was writing the lyrics, and what did you say, Kirk brought, brought that one in from Exodus? Yeah. Do you think they considered, like... Oh, the crowd's going to love yeah, this Yeah, I do. Because I, I think that when Seek and Destroy... I don't think they did that with Seek and Destroy, but I think when they saw that... Search and Seek... Yeah. I think when they saw that they could, that was a crowd moment, Yeah, I do think that they brought We've that. We've got to put that in there. The crowd's they were, they, Yeah, they were, they were basically a live band playing yeah. so much live, seeing how crowds are interacting, talking to fans after shows. Yeah. I think they definitely were trying to make a crowd song. I mean, that's, that's stuff that as a musician and a guy who's been in a lot of bands over the years that I've definitely discussed with you know, my other guys in the studio, like whether it's during vocals or a certain part, like, Oh, that's going to be a really good crowd moment. Yeah. You just know, cause yep. you, you know, your, your fan base. So exactly. It's cool early on though. I mean, they're recording their second record and you know, we, we assume they decided like, let's just have some kind of gang vocals here. that just say die. Yeah. And it's super metal. It's fucking metal. Yeah. It's metal up your ass for you sure. You could say it's brutal. They, uh, and they still even open with it. I mean, I watched a, um, a promo show they did in Paris for Hardwired today and they opened with Creeping Death. That's awesome. And it the, sounded killer. You know, the last couple of shows they've been opening with Bread Fan. Oh, cool. A, a B-side. Yeah. That's so cool. Really cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into, a, a either a B-sides episode or probably just a Garage Inc. Cause most of them are on there. Yeah. But, um, this is a funny story. So, uh, years ago, I do love Metallica and metal, but I was in a ska band and yeah. a bunch of us were big Metallica fans. Mm-hmm. And we had this thing where um, we would attach a Metallica intro, like Creeping Death, for instance, to our song. And that's we'd open the song with that, even on record. Yeah. So the, the band was called The Supertones. And the first record, it was Am I Evil? Not technically a Metallica song. But the second record, um, 
the our main kind of more popular song on that record started with Creeping Death. And so most of our fans, because this is a whole this is not a metal world at all, most of our fans thought that was ours. Right. Um and I can tie in a little bit of my Dave Mustaine story to this story because it, it comes into play. Um I won't tell the whole thing, but basically I was in Phoenix, my band the Supertones was playing, and Mustaine was hanging out with us backstage before, and I thought I should mention that we we opened our show with this song and we, and we start with the intro to Creeping Death. And I, you're going to tell Mustaine, hey, just FYI. I did. I totally gonna, did. I was like, play Creeping Death. and he was super cool. I was like, hey, I don't know if I'm just a broken record here and you've, you're tired of hearing about this stuff, but we play the intro to Creeping Death to one of our songs. Is that, is it going to bother you or anything? And wow. He, and he's standing there, he shakes his head, looks at me and he goes, he goes, do you know, do you know how much I'm making royalties from that band? He goes, that's fine. Oh, whoa. <laughs> He didn't say it like in a like a super cocky way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was kind of joking around. He's like, "I don't mind. I make a lot of royalties off that record." Yeah, which he, I mean, two co rights. I do, do kind of wish he'd just been like, "No, man, that's cool." He had to like, he had to bring it up. He had like, to kind of like still take a little dig, which is fine. It's, it's fine, cool. But hey, but it left on. me with a cool story. But anyways, you, we'll get into that whole full story on on a David Stane episode. You know, it's even. I don't even know if I've ever told you this, but when I was getting into Metallica, this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Someone played me that Supertones record because they knew I was Metallica freak, and they were really? they were Supertones fans. Oh, uh, what were you? I would love to hear what you thought of it. I mean, this is bullshit. I didn't say that. I thought it was really cool. But when it gets into the because it was a straight up ska band, and I've never really oh yeah been a big ska fan. So yeah. I'm not not a fan. I've just never really checked it out. Sure. So I definitely like preferred it when you were playing Creeping Death. That was like probably <laughs> my comment. Like, so you liked about thirty seconds of that record, but. How funny is that? That yeah. I remember learning. I don't. I, have I never told you that story? No, you never have. Because I remember learning when we first became friends a few years ago that when you were in the Supertones that I had heard that. Like, I mean, we're talking. This was probably. I mean, that record was ninety six. Yeah, this was around ninety seven. This is late nineties. Okay, and also the record, the Supertones record after that, um, uh, it was the intro to Damage Incorporated. Oh, cool. But then after that was around the era that Metallica was suing everybody. So we're like, let's <laughs> oh, not shit. do that anymore. <laughs> and uh, another side note, if I could keep going on another tangent here for a minute, our last record we did before we broke up in uh, 05. Um, Which St. Anger track did you do? Uh, <laughs> frantic. <laughs> no, we did not. Um, <laughs> Good. No, I just yelled TikTok a lot on the record. Um <laughs> No, we um, the demo of this song we had for the intro song for our record um, was gonna, we were going to do Dire's Eve. Oh, right. Because that's my favorite Justice track. Mm-hmm. And I, I we I had a little four track and we did a demo of it, but then we were still kind of like, uh, will Metallica get, will, will somebody get this to them and be like, hey, these guys are using your song or whatever. And so yeah. we, I ended up writing my own metal kind of sounding intro that sounds like a Metallica song. Hmm. So... If you guys are some metal crossover Scott fans, you should go check out the Orange County Super Tones. Yeah, any uh, Scott metal fans out there? <laughs> hey, you might like a band called, one. called Voodoo Glow Skulls. They were like this heavy kind of punk metal ska band. I'm not kidding. You also might like a band called Coldplay. <laughs> hey, imagine... You also, might, you also may like Savage Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, madly, deeply. Hey, ima- so imagine... The, so they play me that Supertones record, and I'm like, oh, this is cool and weird. Imagine if they could be like, yeah, in like 15 years, you and that dude are going to be doing a Metallica podcast. <laughs> it's so weird. That would have blown my mind. Oh, jeez. Well, Creeping Death, I mean, that's almost as good as it gets. That's like yeah. as good as it gets. Now... I feel like there's a difference between what is the best song on this record and what is my favorite song on the record. Okay. I would say that Creeping Death is probably the best song on this record. I agree. Um, I still want to know what your favorite is. I'll get back to you after we talk about uh, the last track here. And right before we get to Call of Cthulhu, uh, I do like that. So, you know, if this is going to, if Creeping Death's kind of going to be like maybe their best song, I do love that everyone in the, that lineup has a co-write on that song. Yeah, totally. Yeah, a, a definite collaborative effort on that one. Pretty cool, man. Totally cool. All right, Call of Cthulhu. Man, closing it out with an instrumental. Fucking awesome. It's it's beautiful. I love it. There's so many good parts to it. There's a lot that repeats. You yeah. would think too much, but it, it does never bother me. And I, I think there's a lot of restraint, too, in the soloing department. They really yeah. like let the song kind of be riffy and breathe. Yeah, totally. Before they sort of let out the onslaught of guitars. 
Yeah, it's it's such a cool song, and honestly, my, one of my favorite parts of the song is the outro. Yeah, it sounds like something out of a, a you know a movie like a score or whatever. You know, da, 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 da. it's so awesome. Well, they were listening to a ton of the Ennio Morricone, the the dude, the soundtrack dude. Yeah, good, the bad, and the ugly. The intro they use, they've you know they used that since '84. I read a quote from Hetfield. He's he said because uh, he did I think two years ago. Or so he kind of uh they did a showing of good the bad and the ugly and he was there to like kind of help intro it right um but in the interview he did for that he said they've been using it since 84 possibly 83 huh but that's crazy like i mean that's 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 straight up cliff i mean that's that's cliff saying to them like we should listen to other music than yeah you should watch these well i uh, think in that same interview hetfield did talk about that he was a big western fan and john wayne fan stuff like that so it's a possibility that he was into like westerns spaghetti westerns and stuff like that but i mean that it it is very soundtrack ish totally and that intro is perfect for that band it's become almost like their song absolutely you know um i can't remember where it was i saw a band and some festival that came out on stage to that and it wasn't like a joke and I remember sitting backstage thinking, like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. That's Metallica. That's not going to work. Totally. But, <laughs> I mean, Call of Cthulhu, I, I think, or the Cat of Cthulhu, whichever, you, whichever, Cthulhu. Which, whichever you prefer. <laughs> that's that's a much different sounding song. Um, also a co-write with Mustaine on this one. Yeah. Um, way to go, Dave. But, man, it's, there, you know, there's not a lot of bands that could do even a three-minute instrumental. And It's long. What's it, like nine minutes? Something like that. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty but do, long. But do a song like that and, and like hold your attention. I know. And Metallica has done it, obviously, numerous times. But... Um, uh, well, and they were they were playing that live. I mean, that, they were playing it during Kill em All. I mean, they played it live, I believe, with Dave. That's oh, wow. how early they were like debuting that. Or like whatever it became. Maybe it was just like a jam for them to get through a 90-minute set or whatever. Right, totally. But I know that when S&M came out and I, you know, pre sort of the ubiquity of the internet, like I didn't see the track listing for S&M until I was holding the CD. Yeah. And I remember seeing Call of Cthulhu on there and being so fucking As the stoked. opening song. Well, they do actually a gold. But, right. Yeah, but, sure. But yeah, the opening but Metallica the band song. band out. And just to hear it live. Oh my gosh. I'm excited to do an episode on the S&M record. Me too. Because some people don't, don't care for that, you know, the old orchestra thing, but... I think, I mean, Call of Cthulhu is a perfect example. Metallica's music definitely, it calls for that kind of instrumentation to back it up. Not all the time, obviously, but it's it's a perfect setting, you know. I agree. Like an orchestra playing along with Metallica, like, it makes sense to me. They're both super powerful forms of music. Yeah. And um, I'm sure other metal bands, someone like Iron Maiden comes to mind, but have a melodic sensibility that would lend itself to orchestral arrangements sure. of their songs, but Metallica for sure. Yeah. They, like there's probably not going to be like a Hello Waits orchestra, <laughs> you know, right, a show no mercy, yeah, totally. a Christ delusion. Slayer <laughs> performs Christ delusion with the San Francisco orchestra. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is, you know, you know, probably not my favorite instrumental they've done, but it's up there. I'd say it's number two. It's, yeah, I agree. Well, what's what's your number one? Orion. Oh, really? Uh, oh, I think I, Orion's amazing. I can't uh, to wait to, to die that. is tough. To though. live is to Shit. die, man. No, I think I, 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 I'm going to say Orion. Okay. Um, even though to live is to die is incredible, but I love um, to live is to die. But there is some talking in to live is to die, right? It's a spoken it's like word. A spoken. <laughs> I still call it an instrumental. I do too. We'll stick with that. He's not technically singing. I I think honestly, I think Call Two is the perfect ending to this record. It's a perfect record. Yeah, trapped under ice, Mike could go and be replaced with something maybe, and I wouldn't be that bummed. But other than that, but there's only eight tracks on the whole record, so yeah. Like maybe they could have written another song, like uh, uh, "For Whom the Bell Tolls." Caliber, sure. I don't know. Trapped under I, trapped under ice kicks ass. It though. totally kicks I ass. I a, take it back. I don't want it to go anywhere. Yeah, fuck you, man. <laughs> I mean, I love this record. It's my favorite one. This just going through it this way just confirms it for me. And I know I texted you, I'd had a few whiskeys the other night, and I texted Ethan that <laughs> I was listening to Justice and having a really good time. And yeah. I texted Ethan, I was like, I'm listening to Justice right now, I think it's my favorite one. <laughs> and you woke up the next day, you're like, oh, that's the whiskey Shit. talking. <laughs> now, if you would have said St. Anger, I definitely wouldn't have believed you. 
Well, let's see. Oh, God. Uh, that would be like a um, bath salts night. That, w- that would be something more than whiskey. <laughs> nine on bath salts. <laughs> Dude, I was up on, all night on bath salts. Frantic is my favorite Metallica yeah. song. It's a masterpiece. Some kind of monster. <laughs> so, uh, so this is interesting. So favorite song and best song. So you think Creeping Death is okay, the best. Okay, so I got to decide this now. I, I've been promising this for a while. So I think Creeping Death is, is the best song. I agree. On this record. I agree. I would say my favorite song on this record would be Fade to Black. It's hard to fuck with Fade to Black. I, and and that, that's why I think I had to kind of categorize them because they're two they're such different songs. I do think Creeping Death is better than Fade to Black, but Fade to Black is awesome. Fade to Black is so good. And it's kind of got like, it's kinda, if, if you are a Metallica fan at this point in time with all the stuff we've learned, all the ballads and stuff, it's got everything you like. It does. It really does. It's probably the best ballad. Other and, than like the thrashy stuff, it's got everything that is quintessential Metallica in it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um... I mean, what more can we say about this record? It's it's perfect. It's perfect. There's no track skippers. I never go, uh, I don't have to listen to From the Bell Tolls again. No, oh, I want dude, to. I would, I've never, I would never skip that song. No, no. And I've heard that. I've probably listened to that one more than almost any of these. Yeah. It, I find it interesting, that, and, and, you've, and you've brought this up before just in casual conversation, that there's fans out there that after this record, like, we're done. Yeah, this was it for them. Like, as in, like, this was the last good one, or or this is what we're like, fuck this, no, I don't want to listen to this. I think the Fade to Black really bummed some of them out so hard. That's crazy. And you know, the, some fans are like that. I mean, the Beatles have fans that once they left playing Germany, they thought they had sold out, you know, right, totally. once they left Hamburg or whatever. Like, yeah. There's just, those fans are just of a certain caliber, and there's no pleasing them, really. They just want, they wanted Metallica to be playing at that little club in San Francisco, playing the Kill 'em All set. Yeah. That's what they want forever. Yeah, I mean, and, and really, and that's okay. And, and but... by this time in their career, when they started, you know, touring on Ride the Lightning, I mean, they were playing massive festivals, mm-hmm. and they were becoming a big band. I mean, I mean, what was it? By the end of that year, was it the end of that? No, I'm sorry, it was by '87. So, with the success of Master of Puppets, they'd sold a lot of this record. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there was still, you know, I was watching YouTube footage of them from the '84, '85 era. I mean, they're playing to gigantic crowds, yeah. and the crowd's going crazy. Yeah, and the only reason that I do think that there are people who got off board with Ride the Lightning is because they never looked back. Right. They never, I mean, I think the, I think a song like Battery, I mean, how could you, that's like one of the thrashiest songs of all time, I think. Oh, I think Black, Incorporated? I think Blackened is too. Yep. But those records not only have the same elements of Ride the Lightning, but they continue to evolve. Right, totally. And with their ballads and with their themes and moving yeah. away from thrash. And I think even around this era, maybe when they were going to record puppets, they didn't even want to be labeled a thrash band anymore. Yeah. Which, you know, understandably butthurt a lot of thrash kids. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess so. Or, you know, or maybe they're, you know, we're just smart early on. Like, you know what? This isn't really a thrash record. Right. You know, yeah, it's fast, but it's not kill them all. Right. You know, but I don't know. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Listening there at home or in your car or in bed or on the toilet. <laughs> Is Red Lightning a perfect record? We think so. I, th- I, I don't think know. so too, yeah. Let us know. Email us, tweet at us, comment on Instagram. And where can they do all of that? Oh, I'll tell you. On the internet. <laughs> now, you can email us at metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at metalupyourcast. On Instagram, metalupyourpodcast. And, uh, of course, you can go to MetalUpYourPodcast.com where you can subscribe, find all those links, and also listen to the episodes there. You can subscribe through that site. Or if you're just, you know, if you're old school, you just go straight to iTunes and uh, subscribe there. If you're super old school, you just write us a handwritten letter. Yeah. P.O. Box. (laughs) Tell us us your thoughts. (laughs) Put it on a stork. Yeah, we would love to hear from you, honestly. Uh, You can email us and make fun of us for forgetting things because that's going to happen all the time. Get used to it. Um, yeah, let us know your thoughts. Let, let us know what you like about uh, this record, what you don't like about this record. Were you a fan that gave up after this record? Hmm. I'd be interested to talk to somebody like uh, uh, you know who experienced I wonder that. if you're a fan who gave up after Ride the Lightning, if you would even listen to this podcast. I mean, I have friends that gave up after the Black Album, and they still pay attention. Yeah. They always do. That's the thing. I, I mean, I, I, I there's probably very few Metallica fans out there that got burned by a record and went away completely. Yeah, I know. I know I didn't. I didn't with St. Anger, and that record hurt my feelings more than any yeah, record totally ever made. Did. Oh, no. I mean, if anything, it made me more excited for Death Magnetic. I think if you're a fan, you're a fan, and you totally. you have to go through the shit with the bands that you love. Well, and let's be honest. You know, this is the, they just put out their 10th record. Yeah. Even if you're a fan, let's say, the first five, 
that's still half their records are awesome. Yeah. You know, um, and, or let's include, you know, the new record hardwired. I mean, that would be six records right. that are fucking great. I agree. Um, in my opinion, they've only put out one bad record, two okay records, and the rest, I think, are awesome. Yeah, I agree. So, but we'll get into all that on those uh, album-specific episodes. But, yeah, uh, for we got, now, and we got puppets coming up next. Yeah, puppets. Uh, we got a Cliff Burton episode coming up, and I think from there we're going to kind of go across the board. I think we're going to do Hardwired to Self Destruct pretty yeah. soon, just because it's you know f- fresh on the mind. Uh, they're about to start touring for that next year. They just played their last show of the year in Oakland. Um, they just got done doing all the promo for Hardwired, so I think we'll get to that episode here pretty quick. And we've got some good plans for that tour, too. If they come to Nashville, we're going to take the show live to uh, Bridgestone Arena. Yeah, where or probably unless playing. they do a stadium tour, wherever, wherever they play. Grimies, I don't know. Oh, yeah, the Grimies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we want to do some creative stuff with this, with this podcast where if they are playing either in Nashville or surrounding cities... You know, we go get tickets or get hooked up um, and uh, and uh, yeah, sit outside with a couple of microphones and talk to you guys. Talk to the fans coming to the show. If you think it'd be kind of fun, something a little different for a podcast, I guess. But yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Peace. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>